Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. All right, Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast. Today, we have an outstanding individual. His name is Matthew Holt. He was a co-chairman of Health 2.0, founder and author of the healthcare blog, and board member at YTH, among various other things that he's doing in healthcare. Matthew's been in the business for almost three decades and comes with plenty of experience that he's going to share with us today. And uh, before we carry on, I just want to open up the mic to Matthew to fill in any of the gaps that I may have missed in the intro. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you, Thor. I think you've got the, yeah, you made me feel pretty old. (laughs) I was already, uh, what worries me is I was already in my, uh, I was already getting into my 30s by the time I started this business, so not quite. I was in my mid-20s, so uh, I'm feeling very old today. <laughs> but anyway, but I think that's it. The things I do mostly these days are work on the healthcare blog and run Health 2.0. Having to tell you a bit more about that. As I said, I'm on the board of YTH. I do a little bit of advising for other small startups, and I you know, spend a lot of time working to connect people around, particularly around the, the worlds of, of, sort of new emerging health technologies, I'm in San Francisco, which is sort of doing the Silicon Valley mindset of can we use technology to, to improve and change the healthcare experience, including outcomes. So that's probably a good, good enough summary. Wonderful. So really excited to have you on and to dive into some of the things that you're up to, Matthew. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I, that I like to start off the show with is why did you decide to get into the medical sector to begin with? Oh, geez. I mean, the joke is that for me, it literally was part of, it was a random thing that happened. I grew up in the UK, as you can tell my, by my accent, I went to college in the UK. I worked in the city of London, the sort of Wall Street of the UK for uh, three years. I was completely ill-suited and unsuccessful at that. And I got fired from a couple of jobs, you know, which is the, the market was sending me a message, as, as they tell you. I ended up at Stanford University doing a, you know, because it was California, it was beautiful and sunny, and I came out and thought I should figure a way to get here, and it was easy to come be a student. So I ended up at Stanford doing a master's program in political science. And I did a course on Japanese politics. And one of the things to do in the course was, the second part of the course was to write a term paper, like a a research paper. And I was going to write one. My topic, you know, before I walked into the room to talk to the professor was going to be the Japanese investment in the car business. This is how long ago this was, Saul. This is when people were scared that Japan was taking over the world, not China. All right. This is 1989, 1990. (laughs) And I literally... uh, walked into this room and there's a bunch of you know, grad students sitting around a table and I'm sitting on the professor's right and he turns to his left and says, okay, what's your topic to the first person? And then it goes all the way around the table. By the time it gets to me, there are four or five other people who are going to do Japanese investment in the European car business. And I'm going, well, bloody hell, I'm not doing the same thing that four other people are doing. So just on the top of my head, I said, perhaps I'll do something else. How about no one has talked about Japanese domestic politics or political economy? What about the Japanese healthcare system? I literally said it like that, and the professor went, well, wow. I an idea, and you know, he gave me some pointers and what have you. So I ended up writing this little term paper, and I thought that would kind of be it. And at the very next, not even the next semester, but the Stanford had this quarter system. So that calendar, that uh, academic year, a guy showed up from Berkeley with some money from the Japanese health ministry to study Japanese healthcare and do cross-comparisons with the U.S. healthcare system. Because I was the only person at Stanford who had ever done anything about the Japanese healthcare system, I kind of got the job to be this guy's research assistant. 
Amazing. At the end of the year, and at the, and literally, at the end of that year, when I should have been going back to the UK to become a consultant car business or whatever the hell I was going to do. <laughs> um, you know, he said, hey, why don't you stay around, get yourself on a, you know, you have a politics degree, get yourself on some kind of healthcare degree, and we can stay as my research assistant. I ended up staying on that program and picking up a degree in health services research. I ended up staying there for about uh, nearly three years. And the interesting thing was that although I'm now health is working in Japan again, basically what I discovered was that the American healthcare system, because I was doing all the cross comparisons from the American side, you know, even back in 1989, 1990, the American healthcare system was terribly screwed up. It was mm-hmm. very expensive, you know, had poor outcomes for the money that was being spent, except all the stuff that we know is true today wasn't quite as sort of bad on the metrics as it is today, but it certainly uh, had, had its problems. And the more I learned, the more I realized, wow, this is a major issue. So it turned out that sort of, you know, three, two and a half, three years later, I end up being spat out the other side of Stanford. I have a political science degree, which I don't really use very much, and a health services research degree, which I probably use even less. But I ended up I'm getting a job at a place called Institute for the Future. Institute for the Future was a, and still is, is a venerable Silicon Valley institution that does research and, and, and think tankery. And it had a big healthcare practice looking, basically being paid by drug companies, device companies, health plans, and big hospitals to help them figure out the future of healthcare politics and the future of what was in those days to manage care and the way we we're going to do payment reform. This is back in the 90s, before the, the Clinton plan. Forget the Obamacare and the yeah. healthcare act. It was before the Clinton plan, right, when that was going through the, the process. So I worked there. They also had a large sort of Silicon Valley technology practice with you know the Apples and HPs and Intels and Silicon Graphics of the world back in those days as, as their customers. And they had a very, very putative little project, which was between the two, which is information technology and healthcare. And when I showed up, I kind of got stuck in the healthcare group, but I also took over that little project, basically because nobody else wanted to do that. And I always say that I was, you've got to be in the right place and you've got to be lucky. Yes. <laughs> and it's now early, late 93, early 1994. And this is thing, I literally walked into a guy's office and he said, oh, you should look at this. And he was on his computer and he was clicking around. And uh, this was a guy, by the way, who had been laid off by Apple. So we're back in the days when Apple was about to tank, not, you know, what's the biggest company in the world now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. In but in those days, <laughs> Apple was in trouble, right? This guy, they're in the glory days of the Apple II and the first Mac, and he'd been laid off. And he was sort of hanging out at Institute for the Future. And he was clicking around on his screen, and eventually he said, did you hear that? And there was a little tweeting came out. I said, what was that? I said, that was the sound of an Australian song thrush that I've just downloaded from the University of South Australia in Adelaide using this thing called the Mosaic Browser on the World Wide Web. <laughs> <laughs> I went, well, that's a toy. Nobody ever care about that thing. But right, uh, right. pretty soon, you know, the impact of this, this thing called the World Wide Web and the internet, you know, on healthcare, start, I started to pay attention to it. And uh, that's basically what I've done ever since. Wow. And Matthew, what an amazing story, how you took these twists and turns. You were in that room surrounded with your peers and you were sort of in a situation where everybody had the same topic and you decided to pivot. And with this small pivot... <laughs> you could call it that. <laughs> it was an intuitive pivot that you did that I find that most, if not all, outstanding leaders do is that they know how to trust their gut and make small pivots that lead to big change, which is something that you did. And one thing led to another. You find yourself in this office with this gentleman. Once again, making another decision to pivot and potentially what led to start your company that you you then sold. What an amazing story. And the takeaway there is when you're in these situations that you have to make a decision, 
being the same doesn't pay the bills. You got to be different and not be afraid to make decisions. And that's something that you've done really well. So I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, what an interesting way of getting into the business for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in some ways, I like to think there's a combination of things, right? There's, you've got to put in the miles, you've got to put in the the learning. You you can't, I was literally just talking to a guy today who dropped out of college and was basically saying, no, you kind of gone back, you've got to get the stamp. I've talked to many doctors. And in fact, my co-founder at Health 2.0, Andy Sabara, is a doctor who got to the end of medical school and then didn't get a residency. And I kind of think that there's a track you go down and you've got to have a good reason for getting, if you're going to get off that track, you've got to have a very good reason. Mm-hmm. My co- co-founder did have a very good reason and she, she's done very well at you know, becoming an entrepreneurial, uh, an entrepreneur in healthcare rather than, a, rather than a practicing doctor. But I think that for many people, You've got a little bit of opportunity that presents itself, and, more, and you may not realize it's an opportunity. And it's, you know, and I, go, I clearly got lucky that, that this guy, Akiyoshi Kawa, my, my then boss at Stanford, showed up with some research money, and that, you know, a, a grad student who has no money would rather get a paycheck than not get a paycheck. So, Absolutely. You know, so why was his, you know, <laughs> and, and that, that's, it wasn't like I thought that was going to lead to a massive career. But once you start looking at something and you get the opportunity to do that, you start going to it, you've got to start thinking, okay, how is this going to play out? So, I would say there have been two to three times in my career when I've done that. I, I picked four. So I think first one was this issue of I'm now looking at the healthcare system in the US and going, wow, this is a big meaty topic, which is going to have some legs for a long time if I want to get involved in it. So that, yes. was, you know, that was a good one. I think the same thing was true about the, you know, when I was at Institute for the Future around the internet and information technology and healthcare, I kind of shied away from that topic. I was more of a policy and business guy. But I mean, eventually IT, they, they say software, you know, well, Mark Andreessen, the guy invented that motorway browser, says that right. software will eat the world. And I think he's, he's probably right about that. So, you know, it was a good thing to get connected. And then later on, I had one of the first uh, blogs in healthcare, the healthcare blog, which again, I kind of set up a bit of it as an accident. But you know, then once I started doing it, I actually started aggressively pursuing it. Mm-hmm. And that led to me, that and a couple of chance meetings uh, with, with Indu Sabaya led to us putting together the first Health 2.0 conference. So you know, each of those has been like a turning point. I'm not sure I call them a pivot. There may be a build on stuff that have gone before. Each one of them, it's great to say, well, this one thing happened and then everything flowed from that. Each one of them led to a whole lot of hard work and not necessarily always successful work immediately afterwards. But um, I think you've got a, you know, you get a certain number of choices and in, in chances in life to try to do something meaningful. It's not quite the right term to do something uh, impactful, you know, maybe productive, productive. impactful. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Yes. Yeah. And uh, productive, you know, that's going to take you down a path, whatever it is. And, and it's maybe mm-hmm. very different for different people, of course. But in fact, in all those cases, it ended up being some, you know, each of them built on previous stuff I'd done. I certainly couldn't have done the latter two if I hadn't done the first ones. So. Sure. That's a great distinction, Matthew, this idea of building upon rather than just pivoting. And so I feel like you don't give yourself enough credit for what you've done. And with the intuition that you have and the choices that you've made and what you've built upon, what's a hot topic that you feel should be on every medical leader's agenda today? And what are you guys at Health 2.0 doing to address it? Well, so uh, let me start by telling you what Health 2.0 does. And as you mentioned earlier, we, we sold, just sold a part of our company, although Indu and I are staying around. And, and in fact, it's, it's uh, been a very successful transition because we, we sold the art of conference business. We're best known for running, we're best known for running one big conference in the fall in Silicon Valley. Every year, we're about to, about to run our 11th, uh, although we run uh, seven. Well, we're, we're running seven worldwide this year. Seven or is it six? Yeah, we're going to run seven conferences this year. So, you know, it's a lot. One in Europe, one in Japan, one in India, 
and then four in the US. So, but fascinating. One, one we're best known for. Anyway, and our focus is on it's either by region or maybe by topic, but our focus is on new emerging technologies and how they change healthcare. Traditionally, new emerging into information technologies, what I call smack health, social and sensors, mobile operating systems, analytics, cloud, and the K is for kindness. Nice. So we, we need some kindness in healthcare. Agreed. Smack health. Um, is what I like I'm calling that. it. I don't, I don't like the, I don't like the term. Did, Smack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't like the term digital health. I'm a bit pedantic. There are things that like annoy me. I hated the term mobile health. I don't like the term digital health because it, it implies a lot of, of the first generation of computing, which is currently going on in healthcare right now. The sort of the use of the big EMRs from Epic and Cernus and, and all scripts and others. And, and uh, I think we need to move transcendentally past that and go to the world of healthcare in the cloud, which is, if you look at other businesses and other industries, it seems to be where they're going. Sure. Anyway, so we focus on that in our conference business. And then we have a separate business, which Indu and I have kept apart from the conference business, which is called Catalyst. And what Catalyst does is it helps large organizations like governments, so government, uh, economic development agencies in New York and the World Bank and foundations and, and big, some big private companies like drug companies and health plans, catalyze innovation. We have a couple of different programs for that. One of them is a is a sort of marketplace program where we put together small technology companies with potential customers like hospitals, usually under the ages of, of creating a marketplace. We do that in digital. It's actually called the Digital Health Marketplace in New York. You can mm-hmm. tell I lost a battle over naming that. <laughs> I lost a battle <laughs> over naming that one. <laughs> it's not called the Smack Health Market. The, uh, and we do the similar thing with the World Bank in India, and uh, we've done a similar thing in some poor communities, some underserved communities, uh, sponsored by Robert Johnson. We also run straight competitions and challenges, either for tech companies to help uh, big tech companies like at Allscripts to help get a smaller tech companies to build on their APIs. Or we just finished one with uh, Pfizer, where they were, we just finished one with Pfizer, where they have been uh, getting uh, technology and service companies to build tools for women with metastatic breast cancer. So you're seeing a whole lot of, so that's a way for us to sort of promote innovation. Sure. And then our Conferences are ways for people to meet together and to showcase innovation, but also to to build an ecosystem. We've been very successful in building an ecosystem of of developers and you know potential funders, whether they be large customers like a health plan or a pharma company or a Medtronics of the world, or investors like venture capitalists and consultants and other players. So we pride ourselves on sort of being a small. I kind of used to kid years ago that we're like the grain of sand in an oyster. So if you make it annoying enough. There'll be a pearl will come out of it. Sure. I'm not sure we got to the pearls. Not sure we got to the pearl status yet, but you know, there's <laughs> certainly. Well, there used to be literally when we started in 2006, 2007. There were you know a few hundred people in the room. In fact, when it first knew and I first met in 2006, there were like 30 people in the room, and now there are only a couple of thousand. Not the biggest conference, but there are tens of thousands of people involved. There are four to five to six thousand companies building these what you know what people digital health or smack health products and they're not just focused on communication with patients and doctors or communication between patients and patients now they're focused on building diagnostic tools and sensors and putting the information and the to some extent the medical tech revolution out of the big institutions into people's bathrooms and helping people lead better lives at home so to answer your question <laughs> the answer is that we're moving from a healthcare system which you can argue is 100 years old, you could argue is 10,000 years old, where what we've done is dealt with patients, clinicians, system, hospital systems, whomever, doctors, group, 
physician groups, drug companies, tech companies, whoever, have dealt with patients kind of on a transactional point in time basis. You came in to see a doctor, you got your seven minutes, your 15 minutes, whatever it is. Something happened in that meeting, that transaction, and it was done. And maybe you got a drug at the end of it, maybe you went and picked up that prescription, maybe you took it, maybe you didn't. Maybe you had surgery and you had an implant put in or whatever happened to be, and you may or may not have got good follow-up. What really has happened is that the healthcare system has been rewarded and has focused, been focused on what happens in that transaction, in that procedure. And what has to change to, and it will, it is slowly changing this way, is that we need to be caring about the entire holistic, you know, 24-7, 365 experience of that patient and groups of patients and citizens as a whole with the healthcare system, which means we have to be collecting data about them wherever they are, and we have to be arranging healthcare to fit the healthcare experience to basically fit into their lifestyle, not the other way around. Sure. It's been something that the healthcare system has not thought about at all. So I think that's a big thing, saying we're going to go from point in time to sort of continuous care cycles. But I think that that's very, very important. And it's the most important for the sickest people. Absolutely, Matthew. Just to finish, that's... it's the most important for the sickest people because they take up the most resources, but they also have the biggest need. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's great. And you know what? I really enjoy speaking with you about this topic because I could tell you're passionate about it. And uh, how else do you stay in it for three decades if you don't have the passion? <laughs> so I, can, I can imagine talking to you 30 years ago and it's probably still that same fire that you have today. So that's really awesome and contagious, really, just kind of hearing you speak. I'm getting fired up over here. You know, <laughs> I want to get some smack health done. <laughs> and so for the outcomes rocket listeners that are tuning in today <laughs> being that that you're <laughs> that, actually yeah, you can take a look there's a there's a website called smack.health is that your site is it smack.health if you go to smack.health it's kind of funny so there's a, a new organization that's promoting uh, called dot health which is promoting the dot health they keep on saying the dot health websites they keep on saying no no it's the huh. dot health domain extension it's like you know dot com or dot yeah in fact, or you know, you know, co, some websites have a dot co so that used to be Columbia's. It's the same company. They somehow they bought the .co off the nation of Columbia. <laughs> Interesting. And now they're promoting .health. We've had a great relationship with them. And they, they said, could you put up a smack? They're funny that you're in the smack health thing. Could you put up a smack.health website? So I put one of those up. It's fun. And I'll be building it up. <laughs> I'll have the, to check it main, out. That's not the main website. The main website that I'm associated with is, is the healthcareblog.com and health2con.com, which is the health 2 website. Well, what we'll do for the listeners, Matthew, is, is we'll provide the one that you want the listeners to check out. And with this topic of healthcare is leaving the hospital, we're having to focus more on population health and, and even beyond that, right? Point of access from a financial standpoint to a geographical standpoint, it's super important. And so with the use of technology, as you mentioned, being the vehicle to get to the next level, I really like the idea that you shared about it's beyond digital. Digital was three iterations ago. We're, we're way ahead of that. We're in the cloud now. And so can you give uh, the listeners an example of maybe a conference that you have coming up where they can go and learn some more from people that are already implementing this? Oh, for sure. Depends where they're in the world. But uh, the, the probably the, the most notable one is our large fall conference, which is our annual fall conference that's in Silicon Valley, Santa Clara, um, October the 1st to the 4th. What is it called? On, on the Health 2.0 website. It's called the Health 2.0 annual conference. So it's, oh, okay, got it. Um, got it's it. our 11th annual fall conference. So it's the Health And that's in October? Uh, so that's October, October the 1st to the 4th. And I think the, you, you know, just to pick up on something you said, Saul, the change that we're seeing, you know, so we have kind of now got healthcare more or less into the computer age. 
of course, the rest of you know society and business went there 20, 30 years ago. We've yes. kind of got people, and we've now started recording what we're doing. You know, we're not really using it in a sort of skillful or elegant way, the way that we are for so many other conditions. What we haven't really done is taken advantage of the ability of the sensor that's embedded in the mobile phones, the mobile devices, or is available on patches or in watches or to really be tracking properly. But we're, that's what's going to be coming next in my view. We're going, to, we're going to be doing that shortly. We're going to be collecting data in multiple ways that just weren't been done before. I mean, there are devices I'm seeing now that you can cough into. It's a company called CloudDX, which, which built a device and you can cough into it. And from the timber and sound of the cough, it can start you know, diagnosing you and suggesting what's going on with you. There are a couple of companies, one called uh, Propeller Health, one called Adherium, who've added basically sensors and packages and microprocessors to the outside of an asthma inhaler. And they're finding that by being able to figure out when people, when uh, kids or adults who had asthma take their asthma puff, they can money, make them take more of it. They can have better outcomes because they're not missing doses because they're being alerted to it and they know when you know, they can remind them about to take a dose. But they can also sort of look at the population health patterns and figure out why do we have more asthma in some areas than others? Is there some pollutant going on here which may be impacting change? They can, you know, they can improve outcomes for populations and, and by geography as well. So you're starting to think about not caring about that kid when they come in with asthma to the doctor every two months, but you know, what's happening every day, several times a day in their life, because that's how they experience their asthma, right? That's the patient-centered view, not the uh, clinician or the system's view. And I think we're figuring out how do we move this massive behemoth of the US healthcare system, the $3.2 trillion that keeps us busy and keeps you and me you know, off the streets every day. That's how right. do we move that to being responsive to the fact that this new technology is enabling us to do this in a different way? And that's the challenge. That's a great know, question. Continue on you know, for the rest of my life, at least. Matthew, that's such a great question. And really, I feel like one that, that is worth exploring here a little bit further. You know, I was recently at the Becker's Health Conference in Chicago, and there was a, a gentleman, He, I forget his name, but he was the CEO of Providence Healthcare up north on the West oh, Coast. Man. It sounds like he's, him and, and, the, and the leadership team over there are doing a, a really nice job of integrating some of these new technologies. But overall, it's a challenge for systems to adopt them. Being that you have the national exposure that you do and access to a lot of these folks implementing them, what would be the, the top one or two things that you recommend to a healthcare executive when it comes to implementation? That's a tough question because they have so much to do and there's so much regulation and so much that's already in their pipeline. But I mean, what Providence has done is they hired a guy called Aaron Martin who used to work for Amazon, right? So they went that's right. and they gave him a whole bunch of money and said, hey, okay, let's bring in some of that sort of consumer satisfaction focus and also operational excellence and can you also figure out the way to bring in new new technology so i think probably the the thing that i i would think that healthcare leaders need to be thinking about the most is how do they marry two of the things i just mentioned so one is a focus on the customer patient citizen whatever you want to call them the person experience and by the way, that also includes the clinicians who are delivering care, that their experience is not being great either. How do you focus on improving that, that user experience, if you want to put it that way? And the other thing is, one of the ways you're going to do that is by doing what other industries have done, particularly you know, the technology industry, but also in a bunch of others, where they have literally opened up their technology stack and allowed other people to build things on top. So the most obvious example of this is the Apple 
App Store, you know, the, the App Store right. and the Google Play Store and the Salesforce App Exchange and that kind of stuff. But you'll find the ability to work with other technologies and other technology-enabled services and to make that a sort of seamless part of your organization, I think enables you to move quickly to do these things which you're going to have to do to move that battleship, right? So if you're something like a huge, like the Providence system, that's why you've got Aaron Martin on board, where you've got a venture fund, we've got an innovation program, and while you're funding you know, new companies to come in and work with you and you're trying to open up your internal systems and allow people to build other solutions on top, which are going to make it easier for your customers, whether they be an employer or a health plan or an individual consumer, manage their healthcare process better. And you're going to also improve that consumer experience by a lot of these are simple things, right? Which is being transparent with the customer about where they're in the line and what's going on with their care, being transparent with a patient about how long they're going to sit there in the waiting room giving them tools in the waiting room to complete, you know, on the iPad rather than that terrible clipboard, having the information about the last time they were there in the hospital available present to them. Mm -hmm. All these are things that we do not routinely do in healthcare. And I think to get what we know we need to do because we get it. I mean, I have to interrupt myself myself for a second. I have a talk about this because my kid, his name is Aero, which is kind of funny. uh, And the talk was called Aero, aerodynamic. Oh, aero. okay, got it. Nice. <laughs> it's not that's aero, cool. aero, but that's a cool name. He was he was named by his sister after an aerodynamic frog. I love it. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, one of those names that was awesome. given to him in the belly and stuff. So I had this this talk called uh, "In Search of Intra Aerobility" because mm-hmm. uh, I was trying to get access to all his different records because he had a, a high belly movement level when he was a day old. He's totally fine now. It didn't have any impact in the end. But that's good to you hear. Know, I went through this this hay haywire thing of chasing around between different clinics. He was sworn and got sore in four or five different medical clinics in his first week of life. And none of them could get the record from the other one. And we at one point we got a printout which we got and left at home. And then me and my wife couldn't remember what the, the number of the tested result had been. The testing literally there was in one office there was a electronic medical record from Epic, there was a, a testing tool from Philips, like, you know, which you held against a spectroscope or something, which was held against his head to try and figure out what his actual number was. And then the, the doctor was trying to figure out how bad this result was, given how old the baby was, how old, old the baby was and how much she weighed. And she pulled up her own iPhone, had an app on the iPhone, which wasn't connected to the other two. And none of the data was going between them. And then, of course, when we left that office, that's the one where they gave us the piece of paper with the, the result on it, which we then left at home for the next visit two days later. So they had to guess again. And, oh, know, my goodness. All, all this sort of chaotic experience. So to fix that, we're going to have to deliver, develop a much readier access to data information and sort of the customer service that goes around that. The bit I was going to say is that on the way to one of these appointments, I stopped in a cafe called Specialties in the, in the Bay Area. It's a chain in the Bay Area, San Francisco. Specialties sells you these cookies, which are just, they're probably heart attack on a stick. They, 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 they're to die for. And I think they cost $3 each. They're very expensive cookies. If you go into Specialties, they have iPads set up. You can swipe your credit card. It'll know who you are for your credit card. It knows what you last ordered. It knows what your favorites are. If you want a cookie again, you just hit the button and it gives the order dramatic, already back to the person behind the counter, you know, sort of six feet away. And then they even have, if you were going to have a more complex order, they even have, you can either put in an, a number into your order and pick up a pager, which will buzz you if you're like outside waiting. And I was going, the retail store here in the cafe has figured out how to do this for an order that costs somewhere between three and twenty dollars. Yep. That visit, each of those visits we have with my kid cost hundreds of dollars, and yet we have a clipboard, right? So that's where I was really going. It really brought home to me that I've been in this business by that stage for twenty years promoting this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's actually now three 
two and a half, three years ago. And yet all the things I'm promoting and showcasing at Health 2.0 hadn't really made it into the real world. And so the challenge is how do you get this stuff into the real world so that the sort of seamless experience that I had at Specialist Cafe happens in the doctor's office? That's what we're asking for. But if we can get that right, you know, forget curing cancer, if we can just get that level of customer satisfaction and ease of access right, we've made the experience so much better, we'll make it cheaper and we'll make it more human. So that's, and more empathetic, that's the K in kindness and smack off. So that's sort of still my campaign, if you like, or my passion. Matthew, thanks for sharing that. I know it's a, it's a very personal story and I'm glad that your son is doing well, but inevitably like, yeah, you know, why not? Oh, he's, he's, doing, he's, doing, he's doing far too well. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, Arrow, if you're listening to this, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, your dad's proud of you. I, I could see him. Yeah, I'm him. proud of him, but sometimes I wish he'd slow down a bit. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, you know, and if the local cafe could do this, why can't we in healthcare? And it's having candid uh, conversations with ourselves and holding ourselves accountable as healthcare leaders to bring it to the next level. And so I really appreciate you sharing that. You know, if the cafe could do it, why can't we? So Matthew, one of the fun things that we do here on the show is we build a course. It's a fun little lightning round question answer session. So let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. We'll call it the 101 course or the ABCs of Matthew Holt. (laughs) <laughs> I'd like to just write out the syllabus with you. Just get okay. a couple brief answers to four questions. You ready for it? Far away. Okay. What is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Track them, track patients religiously when they leave the facilities for a long time. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid while doing this? Not talking to the patients about what their preferred outcome is. How do you perhaps s- not their preferred not their preferred outcome, but their preferred input. You know, what do they want before they had that procedure. Got it. And how do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? Probably the most important thing is having compelling communication from your leadership about the clarity of mission of the organization and having that communicated consistently through the organization, especially large ones in healthcare. Powerful. What is one area of focus that should drive everything else in the company or in the hospital? I think it's probably improving the patient experience in a scorable way. I'm a little bit, you know, people going about their net promoter score, mm-hmm. but you know, and I'm, I'm a little bit cynical about that, but I think it's to raise the, I think you need to get patients and consumers or customers who've got higher expectations and the trial least to, to match those and to grow on that. If you get that right, you're probably going to find that most other things are going to fall out from it. I know that's, that's tough to hear in healthcare, but I think there's a lot else going on. I think that's probably it. Outstanding. And if you were to add a book to the syllabus, Matthew, what would that book be? Oh, just one? No, you've been tough. Um, <laughs> if you want to, I'll I give you two. It yet. <laughs> I, I, I would say that there's an old book by a good friend of mine called Michael Millinson called Demanding Medical Excellence, which is now, I think, about to be 20 years old. But it's basically about the, the shift towards looking for better outcomes in healthcare. And that's a great one to, to go back to. So I would say Michael Millicent's demanding medical excellence. It's dated, but it's the same basic problems, the same topics. You could have read it today and it wouldn't have been that much different. That's outstanding. Michael Millinson, Demanding Medical Excellence. And Outcomes Rocket listeners, what we'll do is we'll add these awesome points shared by Matthew along with any of the resources and, and the book 
in the show notes. You could check them out at outcomesrocket.com and uh, look up the episode. Just look up Matthew in the search bar and you'll be able to pull them up. Matthew, before we conclude, just want to share, you know, open up the mic to you again and just have you share one closing thought and the best way that the listeners could get a hold of you. Okay. To get a hold of me, it's easy. You can Google Matthew Holt. Uh, there is a British male model. That's not me. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the healthcare guy. Matthew, Matthew. But I'm uh, one easy way is to follow me on Twitter at Boltyboy, B-O-L-T-Y, B-O-Y, Boltyboy, or look at thehealthcareblog.com or health2con.com. So that's probably the, the easiest way. And you can obviously find me on, online. Very easy. Just Google me, Matthew. And Matthew, Matthew Holt, if you want to find me. So that's finding me. So part of what is that, is that, so what you're doing here, which is interesting, which is trying to, trying to build a, a series of sort of a combination of, of thoughts and community and, and, and syllabus around improving outcomes is great. The key issue is that there's a lot, and as you hinted in that last question, outcomes mean different things to different people. But we for sure know that on some of the growth measures and some of the individual measures, we don't do as good a job as we should for the amount of money we're spending in healthcare. And we don't have as satisfied a a patient and citizen population as we should have. So there's a lot goes into that. And I think as you go through this and build more, have more interviews, you'll find that what leads to outcomes and what outcomes mean is very different for different people. Everyone will have their story about how personally they're affected by things. And even if it's a relatively trivial thing, like my son's issue, mm-hmm. um, which ended up being trivial, there are people obviously who have much bigger medical problems, I know very well. But I think that in the end, if you're going to focus on what happened what was the consequence of what we did rather than just what should we be routinely doing? That'll actually start to change the way people think about it. Which is, so I think uh, you know, Outcomes and Outcomes Rocket is a, is a great place to start. And I really wish you luck building this community over time. Thank you so much, Matthew. And you know, I, I really thank you for taking the time to be here on the show. I know that the conversation that we've had is really going to create some ripple effects of excellence in, in what we're doing in healthcare. So just want to give you a big thanks. Uh, you're welcome. It was really fun doing it. And I hope I didn't go on too long to too many people. <laughs> you tend to be a bit loquacious. <laughs> Get excited for Health 2.0's 11th Annual Fall Conference and save $100 with this promo code, FALL17ROCKET. That's F-A-L-L 17-R-O-C-K-E-T. At this one-of-a-kind conference, you'll discover the latest innovation and hear the hottest topics and trends in health tech. Join 2,000 decision makers, including healthcare providers, developers, investors, and startups. As they gather to see over 200 live product demos, 100-plus thought leaders, and 10 new company launches. Visit outcomesrocket.com slash health20. That's outcomesrocket.com slash health20. And use promo code FALL17ROCKET to get $100 off of this outstanding and exciting event. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 